0: Good morning, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I'm absolutely delighted that each and every one of you is here this morning. Wherever you are in your own faith story, whether you're just starting out, whether you've got all kinds of questions and doubts and pain, or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time and you still have some doubts and some questions and some pain, I am really glad that you're here. As Brad said, we are in a year focused on faith stories. In this first series of the year, we are looking at founding faith. Last week, we took a look at Hebrews 11, and we said that this great chapter really provides a framework of all these Old Testament characters, and they're unvarnished history, but yet they had faith. And the writer of Hebrews defined faith as the substance of things hoped for. And last week we looked at this idea of faith being both a substance, a solid foundation that is objectively true, and as other translators translate that word, there is a confidence that goes with us. That is a subjective experience. So there is both that which is objectively, historically true, and then there is our personal experience of faith. And we said that it is God who is shaping us to be able to share our faith stories. And ultimately, it's those stories that point us to Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 12, and I would invite you to turn there. We will have the words on the screen. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Morah at Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring, I will give this land.'" So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. I want to continue in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, "'What have you done to me?' he said. "'Why didn't you tell me she was your wife?' Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Would you pray with me as we enter into the word? Father, we thank you for the, your word. We thank you for this example of faith that is both great and flawed help us holy spirit be our teacher this morning i pray that my words are clear that they bring you glory and honor and that they are truly helpful to your people this morning pray that whatever doesn't do those things you would burn off help us jesus it's in your name we pray amen let's talk this morning about the call of God on your life. It is the call of God that shapes your life, my life, our lives. The call of God. We're going to look at Abraham's call and response, and then we'll look at our call and our response. First of all, let me give you just a little bit of background. If you hadn't read Genesis for a minute, the whole bit about the sister and his wife. One of the things we discover in the Old Testament is in God's Word, nothing, all the ugliness is not hidden. It's there. It's there. It's there for us to see. It's, it's there for us to learn from. So when we look at God's call on Abraham's life, we got to back up a minute, and we look at Genesis 1 through 11, and we see this big picture, we see the creation, we see the fall, we see that this vertical relationship with God and this horizontal relationship with other people is broken, it is fragmented. All has been distorted, work has been distorted, The, the call to cultivate the land, all that has been broken and distorted. Anybody in physical pain this morning? You can go back to the fall. Anybody have a challenging relationship this morning? You have to raise your hand. You can go back to the fall. It is there. It all comes out of that fall. God's good creation has been flawed, has been broken. And then there's this process of God calling a particular family in a rebuilding project. Now we've had Cain and Abel, we've had Noah. There's a side to the Bible that doesn't make it in all the Jesus storybook Bibles. I love the storybook Bibles, I love the kids' Bibles, but there are just any straightforward reading of the book of Genesis is not rated G. That's just reality. That's just reality. And I love the way God steps into that Reality. When we look at this particular call on the life of Abraham, we see that he himself, in many ways, as some commentators say, was the last hope. When you look at all the generations, and even Joshua says this in Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Abraham came from a family that they were worshipping the moon gods. They were worshipping idols. If you're watching the documentary, it looks like all has been lost. Theologically, they've gone astray, and even biologically, Sarai is barren. How will God work in this situation? He will call Abraham. He will rebuild the family through this one family. So we see, first of all, in Abraham, a great... Model of faith. When we look at the Faith Hall of Fame documentary, I can hear this voiceover from Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Imagine that. Go! Go! where i keep just go just go i'll I'll, this is a need-to-know basis tremendous faith to come out of that pagan culture and go and follow take everything he has and go is a tremendous example of faith in many ways i wish i had the faith of abraham amen But there's another side to Abraham, which as I've been wrestling with this, it just bothers me. I just got to tell you that. I see the flawed side of Abraham. Some parts that don't make the highlight real. How does Abraham respond when he's squeezed? When there's this gap between the promise and the reality. What does he do? Well, there's a famine in the land. I'm squeezed. Got to go to Egypt. Okay, my wife, she's so beautiful. Now, Sarah, beautiful woman, and and retains her beauty into old age in a remarkable way. What does he do? He lies. He's deceptive. The man of great faith is flawed, and he will do it again. And his kids will do it, and their kids will do it. They will lie. They will cheat. They will deceive. And then sometimes i got to look in the mirror. We have to look in the mirror. And we have a faith that is also flawed. Now, God enters into a brutal world. It's a world of of brutal, brutal patriarchy, slavery, polygamy, the whole deal. And he'll step into this mess. And as I've been praying through this scripture this week, and, and, okay, God, what do you want me to say through this big, giant story of Abraham's Calling. I, I think we have a few different ways we can respond to the flawed faith of our founding fathers. I didn't mean to be that alliterative here. But how do, we, how do you respond to that? Well, on the one hand, we can, we can kind of do the old Sunday school trick. You know, some of you remember the flanagraphs and, you know, just the, 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 the little stories. And we can say, we don't want to dig into the mess. Just, Put those little things aside. I don't really want to deal with that. Or we can do some and just, I don't want to deal with the Old Testament at all. Just get me to those nice, encouraging words from Jesus and Paul. Or we can say, God, what are you showing us through this story? What are you really showing us? Is there a better way to look at it? And I had this picture in mind, so for, forgive me if it's too much of a stretch. This is, this is not a word from the Lord. This is Jason. But as I, I observe all, these, all this dysfunctional drama, it reminded me one time of seeing a family at Walmart on aisle three at 10 o'clock at night. And the family had had a complete meltdown. It wasn't anybody in the congregation. (laughs) Have you seen that? Kids are acting up. It's a wreck. Parents are trying to keep things under control. And I'm I'm watching this scene, and it's just hard to watch. Some of you have been there. Maybe you were the kid. (laughs) Maybe you were the parent. But there's a picture of God and his kids, and it's a mess. It's just a mess. And, and what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, here's what I see. I see God entering into the mess. Perfect God. Loving, tender, tender caring, holy, my little analogy is just a glimpse, and it's imperfect. I had another picture I was thinking, uh, I was listening to a pastor, and he was talking about the challenges of uh, little kids. And he said, you know, here I am. I'm, he said, I'm a pastor, and I'm trying to get ready for this message. And, and you know, his, his wife was working uh, a job, and he was, he was the primary care uh, giver on this particular day and um, the little baby soiled his diaper at 4 o'clock in the morning. The pastor's trying to have this deep devotional time with the Lord and what does he have to do? Change the diaper. And he said, but this is what the Lord showed me. As I was changing that diaper, I had this tender picture of God entering into the mess. Cleaning us up. Wiping away our sin. And he was like, thank you, Jesus, for that picture. I'd take my granddaughter to the library Friday, and I got to, got to reenact that a little bit. <laughs> Some people bring the Taj Mahal diaper bags and strollers. I just had the Walmart sack, a diaper, and a Ziploc of baggies. But, <laughs> but that's a, a little picture. It's a picture, God entering into the mess and caring for his children. Now, there's just some steps to get from Abraham to Jesus here, and we'll do a little bit of that. I want to follow the guide from Hebrews, Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be their God. On what basis is He not ashamed? Is it their perfect moral record? No. It's their faith, it's their longing, it's their acceptance, their belief their, that I will follow you as imperfect as it may be, they will follow. Well, I believe this this picture, this story with all of its messes sets us up for our call and our response. I believe there are at least three connections we can make this morning that I pray are helpful for you. The first is this. Your story, your faith story starts with responding to the call from Jesus. That's where your faith story, my faith story, our faith story starts with responding to the call from Jesus. Now, when, when we hear that, we may think simply, as I say many times, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't have it all figured out. I got doubts, I got questions, I got pushback, Step of faith, yes, 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 John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We know that, that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, yes, and yes. But God calls us into something more. What's he say? Matthew 28, the Great Commission to the very end of the age. I know I have been guilty of this. Sometimes I have minimized the call. I have truncated the call. The call is to make disciples. The call is to make disciple makers. The call is not just pray a prayer, go live however you want to, Just live for yourself, and then someday you'll be up in the clouds with Jesus. Jesus calls us into more. He calls us into more. More than the bare minimum requirement. That's what he calls us to. Just as Abraham was called to go... We're called to go and make disciples. It's a high calling. The second piece of this that I think is really important for us this morning, your faith story is shaped by trusting in the character of the caller, not the character of the called or the character of the calling. Probably a little too cute on my wording this morning. Let me just put that to you really simply. We are shaped by trusting in who God is. His very character. When we look at Jesus, the Word made flesh, His love, His holiness, His compassion, His care, that's what we're called to trust. I can trust in my own moral record. I can trust in My own qualifications, my own abilities. I can also be tempted to trust in the exact nature of whatever I'm called to do. Part of what Abraham invites us to do is to think about when I don't know exactly what the plan is, who will I trust? Do I have to evaluate all the details of the plan? Do I have to look at all my qualifications, or can I just trust the caller? That's the challenge. One of the privileges the last uh, several months, um, I've been invited to participate with some other pastors in town. I won't mention them by name, I'm going to tell a story on one of them. And part of what we're focused on is how do we how do we make disciple makers? What's that really look like? We all see there's just something missing sometimes. And this other pastor, he said, you know, he said, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna identify who I might you know be able to pour into, and da 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 da. da. And, and he finally said, you know what? I'm just gonna go talk to my neighbor because my wife said this to me. She said, you know what you guys do at church? You just sit around and meet all the time. You just talk, 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 talk. Why don't you go do something? I said, I'm sorry you were convicted like that, brother. That message is just for you. <laughs> but she's right sometimes. What are we called to do? Just go. Go. Share the message of Jesus. Love people. Be in the Word. Pray. Pray. Jesus doesn't make it that complicated. The third part of this. Our faith story is shared by inviting people to believe and belong. To believe and belong. Believe and belong. I was struck uh, this week by an article in Time magazine. If you put Time magazine and the Bible together, a fire won't happen. Don't don't worry there. But on the cover, it says, The Secrets from the Happiness Experts. And there was a particular professor at Yale who said this, We're not doing our jobs educationally if 60% of our students are overwhelmingly anxious. Anybody go to Yale? Any ivory leaguers? Okay, I don't see any. But this professor, she, she taught this class, call, or teaches this class called Psychology and the Good Life. Most popular class ever at Yale. Thousands signed up for it. Why? Because there's a mental health crisis at the school. And they use a particular tool to measure happiness. I thought this was fascinating. It's called the PERMA scale, positive emotion, engagement, relationship, meaning, and accomplishment scale. It's on a 10-point scale. Her metric is she's observed over the years of doing this class that she can get her students to move up one point on the happiness scale. Now, I was reflecting on that, and there's a lot of directions I could go with this. And I'll take us in this direction. 60% of the students wrestle with profound, overwhelming anxiety. I would ask the question: are we as a church, what are we as a church doing, and are we any different in our own circles? What I believe this reveals is there is, a, there is a longing for identity, belonging, and purpose. Now, there's all kinds of strategies and techniques in the class, and I'm sure it's great, and I'm not, I'm not here to bash that. But I am here to say, is there something better? Does Jesus offer us a broader, bigger more compelling vision of identity and belonging and purpose? Or are we just a reflection of the culture? One of the most challenging um, teachings of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gives us the image of the thermometer and the thermostat. You want to be challenged this week on the back of your prayer card? I've got a QR code that will take you to a letter from Birmingham jail. And one of the metaphors King uses is he says, look, the early church was like a thermostat. You change the thermostat, the culture changes. He said the modern church is just like a thermometer. It just records the culture. And that can be challenging in Lots of ways. But there's a vision of following Jesus. There's a vision of identity and belonging and purpose that Jesus gives us. Just as God was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're invited into his family. And we are called not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This morning as we prepare ourselves to come to the communion table, I want you to have a picture of this vision Of identity and belonging and purpose. That's greater than anything our culture has to offer. Paul himself will say this that um, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, you are all one in Christ. And that's how we come to the communion table this morning. Matt and the team are gonna lead us as a song, lead us in a song. I want to invite you to reflect. And when you're ready, you can come to the table. And you can remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room, and he broke the bread, and after giving thanks, he said, This is my body given for you. Take eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. It says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Just as you take the cup, may you, just as you take the bread, may you receive the cup. So I'm going to pray, and when you're ready, you can come forward and receive the elements on your own. And then when you're ready, you can stand and sing with us together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your goodness for your vision of faith that is so much more so much more than anything else this world has to offer so we thank you Jesus for making it possible through the cross we thank you that we know it's true because of the resurrection so Holy Spirit do work in us Right now, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.